Ariel Hawani's MMA show is presented by Modelo, brewed for those with a fighting spirit. Hello there, friends. It's Ariel Hawani here with another Wednesday edition of the pod. We've got a great show. I'm very excited about this one. And we feature sort of a fascinating juxtaposition of personalities. We've got Paige Van Zandt and Platinum Mike Perry back to back. You can't get two more different personalities than those two, but two very interesting conversations that I think you'll enjoy. And of course, when it comes to Platinum Mike, listener discretion is advised. We'll also hear a little bit from Robert Drysdale, who of course was the head coach in that Max Roshkoff fight on Saturday night in Las Vegas. Max asked out nine times, talked about this on Monday with DC. If you haven't heard that, I suggest you check out DC and Hawani on Monday. But we talk about the line of thinking in terms of not ending the fight, whether he regrets it, all that stuff and more. So stay tuned for all of that. But before we hear from those fine people, I want to give a quick shout out to Sports Center anchor and good man Doug Kazarian, because as you know, with very few other live sports to bet on these days, uh, he's actually the ESPN betting guru, and he's turned his podcast, which is called Behind the Bets, into a UFC betting podcast. Yes, it's amazing. So if you've got some skin in the game for Dan Hooker versus Dustin Poirier this weekend, I suggest you check out this week's episode of Behind the Bets, which you'll be able to find wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please give our show a five-star review. TST, as you know, never shows me any love whatsoever. Always negative, never positive. So I could use a little positive feedback in my life. All right, here's today's show. Enjoy. Wednesday, June 24th, 2020. Hello again, everyone. I'm Ariel Hawani. Thank you so very much for checking out the show. And as always, we are presented by Modelo. Modelo Especial. Root for those for the fighting spirit. Today's a very special day. It's Saint Jean Baptiste Day in Quebec, a national holiday. So I want to say Bon Fête Saint Jean Baptiste, my fellow Quebecers out there. I also want to say Happy Birthday to Mama Nose, my mom. It's her birthday today. And I love her very much. Can't be there with her in Montreal to celebrate, but she's our most loyal viewer slash listener. So wanted to give her a shout out at the top. And I'm excited about today's program because later in the show, I'll give you some thoughts on some news and notes surrounding uh, the world of MMA these days. So stay tuned for that. We'll also hear from uh, Robert Drysdale, who, of course, was involved in that uh, Max Roshkoff situation on Saturday. Hear from Platinum Mike Perry, who is a very colorful character. Usually this time he was supremely fired up and was just on a different kind of level. In fact, ended the conversation prematurely, so stay tuned for that. But first, let's talk to Paige Van Zandt. As you may know, Paige Van Zandt is returning at UFC 251 July 11th in Abu Dhabi. She meets Amanda Hibas on the first fight of the main card. This is her first fight since January of 2019. Her last fight was the first UFC on ESPN card against Rachel Ostevich. How crazy is that? She broke her arm uh, for the third time, same arm, back in January. And you'll recall the last time I spoke to her was in August of last year. She made that comment that spread like wildfire that she gets paid more posting things on Instagram than she does fighting in the UFC. And I was wondering if this, in fact, will be her final fight in the UFC. She has one fight left on her contract. I wasn't sure if they reignited talks, if she had second thoughts. Of course, her husband, Austin Vanderford, fights for Bellator. Well, we addressed all of that, her future in the UFC, fighting in Abu Dhabi, her arm, all that and much more in a great conversation with PVZ. So first up on the program, 
Paige Van Zandt. Enjoy. First off, Paige, how are you? Thank you for doing this. Yeah, of course. Thanks. I know I just got done sparring, so I look like a psycho. But uh, I'm feeling awesome. Uh, it's like finally happening. This I feel like this last fight on my like UFC contract has taken a really long time to actually come to fruition. Um, it's been an awesome fight camp, no injuries, and uh, been able to just kind of push through on where I left off from, you know, where I broke my arm the last time. Yeah, so I actually wanted to ask you about that because that happened back in January. Uh, third time, same arm, right? <laughs> third time, same arm. So it's not, I mean, it sounds like I have like a weak arm or something, but I totally don't. Um, what I should have done is after the first surgery, you know, I, I had to get a plate take put in my arm. And so normally athletes will go and then get that plate taken out. And that's something that I should have done, but I didn't. I was like, no, I'm going to leave the plate in. I don't want to have surgery again. So I went and I broke through my screw hole. And then when you break through any of your screw holes, they can't just take the plate out. Then they have to go put a new one in around the new break. So I've broken it in three different times in three different spots. Um, but I already have a, an awesome game plan. I'm going to go through and take this by, um, and then I plan on getting the plate taken out. So this just won't even be an issue anymore. Okay. So any limitations going no, into No, absolutely not. No, no limitations, no training limitations. It's more me just being smart and being careful. Um, I don't notice absolutely anything different with my arm. It feels great. It feels a hundred percent. And that's what frustrated me so much about like the last time I broke it is it was like, you know, the best I had ever felt. I was in such good shape. I was training hard. I was excited to fight in March. And then like a freak accident, I broke my arm again. And that's what was so defeating is because I'm coming off of a win, feeling amazing. I had no pain, no nothing. And um, now it's the same, kind of the same position that I'm in now, but we've completely adjusted the way I train. We've adjusted a lot. And so now I can feel so confident that I'm not going to hurt myself. I'm not going to break my arm. Going into this fight, I feel really good. And is it the same spot every time or is it a different part of the arm? Different spot every single time. So, so like you have your arm and there's like a fracture in the middle of it. So each screw hole is a weak point. So I, the like, twice I've broken it is on a different screw hole. So now I've broken it three times. But each place, theoretically, where I broke it is supposed to heal stronger. And then once I get the plate taken out, I won't have those weak points. So it's like if you have, if you have a two by four and there's a screw in it, if you hit the two by four, it's going to break where the screw is. Okay. So it's kind of the same concept. Uh, Did you like the idea when it was presented to you um, of, of fighting in Abu Dhabi on quote unquote fight Island, or would you have preferred one of the cards in Las Vegas at the apex? No. So I was, I was so excited to get this fight Island call. And I feel like through whatever happened, like I'm meant to fight on this card and, and you know, it sucks. I broke my arm again and it would have been unfortunate to be flying. My last night was supposed to be in Brazil and it was right when the COVID kind of took off and it was the, the UFC had no audience in the crowd and they were able to take care of it very well, but I didn't know if I'd be able to come home. You know, my coach is Brazilian. What if they didn't let him back into the United States, flying from Brazil, trying to get back home. So it's like, you know, there was just so many scary factors and it sucks that I broke my arm, but maybe that's the way God wanted it to be. And that's just the way it worked out. And I'm, I'm really excited to fight on the, you know, the fight Island card. I was kind of bummed out when 
there was a few rumors, and I even texted you to try to figure out if you knew where Fight Island was, because I got a rumor that there was no such thing as Fight Island, and that it was just happening in Vegas, and I was so bummed out that I was like, well, like, Vegas is awesome, but, like, you know, this idea of Fight Island is just really cool. I heard that, um, and correct me if you've heard otherwise, that the fighters who are competing on this card will have to fly to Las Vegas next week around yep. Thursday, Friday, and then you have to take a test, quarantine. If you pass that test, then you guys go on a charter flight to Abu Dhabi and then have to take another test when you get there. Is that what you heard as well? That's exactly what I heard. So we got the flight, the, all the flight information yesterday. So I fly from Portland to Las Vegas on the 2nd, which is like really early because the fight's not until the 11th. Um, so we'll fly to Vegas, stay one night in Vegas, and then the third we take off for Abu Dhabi. So we'll have just one night in Vegas where we get tested, fly there. They didn't, hadn't told me anything about being tested again, but. Okay. Did they tell you how many times you have to be tested before the fight? No, they did not say that. All they said is you'll be tested in Vegas and then you'll get on your flight to Abu Dhabi. The fight is actually happening in the middle of the night. Uh, The main card will start at around, um, if my math is correct, 6 a.m., what will you do? Did you know that? Wait, 6 a.m. their time or 6 a.m. my time? They're in, in Abu Dhabi. Did you not know that? No. Uh, yes. I will. The man card starts at 6 in the morning their time? Yeah, because Abu Dhabi is eight hours ahead of New York City. And so the paper. The, it's the correct it's, time here. Yes. <laughs> I was going to ask you, how do you feel about that? I don't know how I feel about that yet. You know, I do pride myself on adjusting very well on very little sleep. That is something I'm extremely good at. I'm not cranky on an hour of sleep or however, but that's something that's interesting. So, I mean, it doesn't make me that nervous because everybody's going to have to deal with the same factors, I guess. It's gonna definitely going to be a factor for all the fighters, but... Wow. What's the heat going to be like at six in the morning? Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I could look that it's going to be hot. It's going to be like nineties. Um, and then it gets well into the hundreds. That's why the idea of fighting outside never really made sense. But actually I think that the, the smart thing to do would just be to stay on Oregon time zone, right? Even though you'll be completely off, right? Because then you'll be fighting at a normal time as opposed to trying to wake up at 2 a.m. to fight at 6 a.m. or something like that weird i'm definitely gonna have to start thinking about the time thing i had no idea we would be fighting at 6 a.m yeah because you're the first fight of the main card i so am you're, so you're exactly six. at six well i'm glad wow. we uh, were able to share huh. this with you <laughs> no, i'm really I'm happy <laughs> i'm gonna have to go talk to my coach and make sure he knows that we're fighting at 6 a.m um Okay, so obviously one of the big stories, as you've mentioned, is the fact that this is the last fight on your UFC contract. I'm mm-hmm. wondering if prior to this, were there any talks again of reigniting the relationship, of signing a longer deal, any talks whatsoever regarding that? There wasn't any more. Um, I don't think. I pretty much leave everything to my management team. You know, I'm working with first-round management now. I have a brand-new relationship. and You know, I kind of... I'm so focused on this last fight. I, I put the reins in their hands and I was just like, you guys figure it out. I'm going to go fight and then we'll go from there. Um, so there was never from me talk of re-signing before this fight. I had my heart set. Nobody was going to change my mind that I'm fighting my contract out. Um, I don't know where my future lies. I truly don't. And um, I think that's kind of an exciting thing in my life. I've been with the UFC for six years now and I've never – you know, through this time, I mean, 
I'm actually, which is crazy. I'm still on the same contract that I was on before I fought Rose when I was 22 years old and I'm 26 now. So somehow through injuries, through me being on Dancing with the Stars, through all the TV work I've done and um, throughout all of this, I've been on the exact same contract since I was 22. And that's the contract I signed when I was 22, but I just feel like a regular extension isn't what I want. And I want to prove my worth and my value. And I, I want a brand new contract. And I'm, I'm really excited to get that opportunity and really test the free agency because how do you know what your value is unless you can go test it amongst all the other sharks? <laughs> True or false, this is the final fight for you in the UFC? I don't know. I guess the world will have to find out. But how exciting is it? You know, I was talking to some people. There hasn't been that many big free agents. I mean, I, there's only like a handful. Like if you want to like huge free agents to leave the UFC. And I do. I consider myself one of those, you know. I, I maybe have had a rocky last two years with breaking my arm so many times. But it'll be a big deal. I'll be coming off two wins and, um, you know, feel really good to, to test the waters. Um, does that add pressure on your shoulders? Like, you know, obviously if you win this last fight, you have a ton of leverage now, right? You're going in yeah. to free agency on a winning streak as opposed to if things don't go well. Do you feel more pressure because you have decided to ride it out and test the market? Um, No, I definitely don't feel more pressure. I feel like every fight I go into, I put the same amount of pressure on myself. Um, I think this is another one of those situations, you know, um, before I fought Felice Herrick, everyone kind of had counted me out because I, ha- I was had way le- less experience. Um, I kind of went in there like, you know, I'm going to go prove myself. And I feel like I have that exact same feeling going into this fight. It's just I want to prove myself. I want to prove how good I am. I know how hard I've worked. Um, so, no, the pressure isn't higher. And I do truly feel like my value doesn't change. Whether I win or lose, I still have set myself up for success and I will still forever be Paige Van Zant. but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to go out there and fight to die like this fight matters to me more than any fight in my entire life so I'm willing I'm willing to put it all out there but you are keeping the door open you're not saying okay I'm done with UFC after this you just want to test the market and see what is out there and it could happen that you return to the UFC would that be a fair way to put it uh yeah the door is open I mean I guess do you think the UFC will offer me anything comparable that another organization will offer me? You're asking me. Yeah. I wonder, you know, I think if you win this fight um, and look really good, I wouldn't be surprised. Obviously there's, <laughs> there's a, uh, there's a lot of uh, money to be made in the Paige Van Zandt business, right? I think you know that. So that's yeah. why I was asking about the pressure on your shoulders. Um, I could also see someone, uh, you know, breaking the bank for someone like you. And, and especially because, you know, your, your husband, Austin, uh, fights yep. for Bellator, that makes a lot of sense as well. So I'm curious, I, you know, I, I think it's uh it's an interesting move on your part and uh, I'm very curious to see how it plays out. And it, and it almost in a, in a weird way adds to the intrigue of this particular fight, right? Because we don't see this yeah. very often these days. Yeah. And I'm really excited. You know, it's a cool card for me to be on. I've never been on a, I've never been on a pay-per-view before. So yeah, which is, it's just kind of a cool experience wow. to like go and open up a really big pay-per-view card. I've been the main event twice, which is like, you know, extremely cool, a huge blessing, but I'm excited to be able to open up a huge pay-per-view card. And, um, no, they're not promoting me like crazy right now, but you know, there's huge, there's some huge names on this card. And I'm, I'm excited to share a fight card with them. So the last time I spoke to you was almost a year ago um, when you and Austin were in studio and you made yeah. the comment about how you make more money 
on Instagram than in your fight career. And that exploded everywhere. Uh, just curious, is that still the case? Are you still doing really well on Instagram? Um, I've actually stepped away. So, um, you know, it's just, I feel more as I think it's, it's a, I can make more money if I choose to make. And it's like, you know, we need to make money to survive. I mean, I was off for however long and if I can make, you know, I make, I'll be, everyone knows how much I make. So I make $46,000 to fight 46 and 46. I'm not going to shop. I'm not going to hide that. Cause it's, you know, everyone knows I can make way more money than that. Just promoting brands on Instagram. And it's, you know, that should say something that why would I step away from all the amazing success that I have on dancing with the stars? I made more money on dancing with the stars than I have in my entire UFC career combined, every fight, every win, every bonus. And it just shows the money is out there. I love fighting. It's what I love to do. And for this fight, I dropped every single sponsor. I dropped, I haven't posted anything on Instagram. Nothing matters to me except for this fight. And I, it's a clean slate for me. I'm, I'm not promoting any sponsors. I'm not, I have nothing. And I'm just excited to go out there and prove my value to absolutely everybody. And I think that fighting is how I do that. Just curious, why would you drop the sponsors? Because doesn't your, your brand value go up as you're about to fight? Like, wouldn't this be a great time to make more money? It does. But I mean, you know, when I'm uh, posting on Instagram, it's time away that you take you away from the gym. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, obligations where you feel like I have to stop my day to fill an obligation for somebody that um, it just is, is work. And I love, I love having amazing sponsors. And I would love to get these amazing partnerships moving forward. But, um, you know, I'm not desperate for money right now. And I just want to prove, I want to prove my value by fighting. And that's what I love to do. And I think I want people to see me for how talented I am because I, I know how good of a fighter I am. Does it bother you? Cause I see it, you know, uh, sometimes you like, I think to mess with people um, when you were posting on Instagram, especially during, uh, the early days of this pandemic, right? You guys were posting your pictures on Instagram yeah. and I see people say you're not a real fighter. You only care about Instagram fame and all that stuff as someone, you know, you have 12 pro fights on your record. And those are the pro fights, not to mention all the other stuff that you've done yep. uh, from an athletic standpoint. Does it piss you off when you read that stuff? No, it definitely doesn't. Um, I know the fans are so, I think the term is like fair weather fans. Like they love you one second, they hate you the next. Um, And they just forget about all the accomplishments you have. If you go through and you look at the actual fans who know about fighting, the real people, they know the people I've beaten and they know the successes that I've had. And at the end of the day, yeah, I am a cute blonde and, uh, but I know how good I am and that's all that matters. And I'll continue to prove myself and, um, you know, it's taken a, a long time for people to step away from my husband being Mr. Mr. Van Zant. Yet they want to call him Mr. Van Zant. Yet he's like nine and zero with almost all finishes. He has a he's a national champion winner in wrestling. He has like so many accolades that have absolutely nothing to do with me. Um, so it's just like the fans until they educate themselves, you know, they, they'll forget about me quickly. Yeah. I haven't fought very often, but I'm taking this fight to remind everybody who I am. Who would call Austin, Mr. Van Zandt? That is very Yeah. Who in the world calls what? Austin, Mr. Van Zandt? <laughs> that, come on. No one would do that. He totally accepts it now. At first he was like, no, like I'm so talented. I earned everything I fought for, but now he embraces it. 
Wait a second. I've asked him every time I've said it, and he's always been like, is he just too nice to tell me he otherwise? He's way too nice to uh, tell you otherwise. That's well, why now, his, fine name, that, his fine name is The Gentleman, because he is yeah. way too nice to say, yeah. Okay. Well, now I'm never going to say it ever again. Now I should have asked okay. you. I should have asked okay. you. Damn. <laughs> I did. It was all a joke. You know, it's, it's a good... He, he runs with it. He plays it up very nicely. And I think it bothers people that he's your husband. And so I think it's a perfect gimmick for him if I could use no, that for a wrestling term. No, at first he didn't like it, but now yeah. he actually has a mouth guard that says Mr. Van Zandt. And oh. got, like, two middle fingers on it. And then we made the Mr. Van Zandt shirts, all kinds of stuff. So Okay. Wow. You guys made shirts? I didn't get a cut yeah. of that. He embraces it now. Interesting. Sorry. Okay. All right. That's good. Now I'm happy that he's uh, feeling better about it. Um. Okay. So if you know, all goes well on July 11th because you haven't fought since January of 2019. Yep. Your last fight was the first ESPN card. That's how long ago it was. It's crazy to think. <laughs> Are you looking to fight multiple times this year? Like, or, or because <laughs> the process of signing a contract and all that and, and fielding offers, that could be very extensive too. That that might just put you on the shelf just because of the, you know, the business part of it all. Yeah. You know, honestly, I'm not going to let the business part take consume too much of my life. I'm going to go with my heart, wherever my heart decides and, you know, whatever makes sense. I feel like it's going to make sense wherever I go. Whatever I choose to do after this fight, I'm going to go with my heart. And, um, yeah, it sucks to have to go into a negotiation process, and I hope it doesn't take too long. But I do plan on fighting as much as possible this year. Um, it's been such a bummer to be out. But at the same time, I've really enjoyed my life. I've gotten to take a little step back, and my husband's built himself up. He's, like, 4-0 in Bellator, I think, I don't, uh, and 9-0 altogether. So I've been able to support my husband's career. I've been able to um, just be a supportive wife, which is really cool. But at the same time, I've been working on all kinds of other stuff in my life. And I got to focus on the basics. I think that's one thing that I, was really healthy for me as a professional fighter in my career is to step away and um, work the basics over and over and over again in training. And um I feel like that's where I've made like leaps and bounds as a fighter is just my technique is getting so much cleaner and that's just, it's really important. And I I feel really confident in that. Uh, I know you said that maybe uh, you feel like they're not promoting you all that much, but you're on the pay-per-view portion of this big fight Island card. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big vote of confidence. You know, they could, they could very well put you on the prelims and Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, not, have you seen it in um, as many places? Are are you surprised that you're on the pay-per-view portion? Were you pleasantly surprised? How did you take that news? Oh yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, it's, it's awesome to be able to open up such a big card. I would have been equally as happy on the prelims um, because you know, with the way prelims work, prelims are free. You get more eyeballs on it, Mm. but this is such an iconic card at the same time. I think we're going to get a lot of views on, on the main card as well. So um, either way, it feels good. It doesn't really matter to me where I lie on the card. Um, I think this, the pressure is the same, whether you're the first fight or the last fight, I put the same pressure on myself. And how do you feel about Amanda? Cause I would imagine you've been thinking about her for quite some time now, cause you're supposed to fight in March. Um, how do you feel about this matchup? And when it was presented to you originally, was this a matchup that you liked? Yeah, this was a perfect matchup. I think I was in Israel for my husband's fight. And they, we got the fight offer and I just took it, you know, there was all this back and forth with UFC where I finally was like, give me anybody, just give me a fight. I just want to fight. And then we signed the fight with Amanda. Of course, then I go break my arm again. And, um, it was the fight that I signed in March. So it was the same fight that I wanted coming back. And I'm really excited about it. It's, it's awesome to fight somebody who is so tough, who's ranked at the 25 division, who is such a formidable opponent. 
um, it's the perfect fight to test myself before I go to free agency. And uh, before I let you go, uh, what's going on with the, the wild turkeys around you guys? What's happening there? Is there wild turkeys? Oh, the, the birds that we've been posting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have turkey vultures that live in our backyard, and they're absolutely terrifying. <laughs> and I feel like they're going to eat my dog, and it oh my. is so scary. But I think they, I think they only eat dead stuff. Um, but they're huge and creepy, and we live kind of in the forest in Oregon. So okay, is there anything you could do about that? Like, can you get them to go away? No, I don't okay. think so. Wow, how many are there? Yeah. Like four or five. Wow. But they fly around. They're just yeah. these huge birds. Gosh. Okay. Well, be be careful. Um. By the way, any sign of Chael P out there? Is he training these days? What's going on? Or is no. Where's Chael? I heard him talking about me. Uh, get him back in the gym. We miss him. He's just slacking. He's just eating at home. That's it. The quarantine. No, he does this every now and then. He okay. will. We'll, we'll see his face eventually. He was busy. He had the sub card on Sunday, so he had that going on, and we'll see his face eventually. It's always right. great. Well, it's uh, it's good to see you again, Paige. I wish you the best. Good luck on July 11th. Thank you, as always, for the yeah. time. I know there's a lot riding on this one, so I just want to wish you the best and uh, safe Thank travels you. out there as well. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed that conversation with Paige. If you ask me to look into my crystal ball, I say she probably leaves the UFC. She joins up uh, with her husband in Bellator, Austin, who's doing really well over there. You'll recall, Austin Vanderford was actually on the Contender Series show and won the fight and didn't get a contract. And I kind of feel like that was sort of the beginning of the end of Paige's relationship uh, with the UFC. So I thought she was honest. I thought she explained her stance very well. And it's been a while since we've had someone go into a high-profile fight on the last fight of their contract and test the market, so to speak. So I think this is going to be really interesting. And I remember way back in the day, I think it was 2007 or so, Andre Arlovsky, the former heavyweight champion, uh, was going to test the market and they buried him on the untelevised prelims back in the day when some of the prelims weren't even televised. He fought Jake O'Brien and uh, well, times have changed of course, cause she's on the pay-per-view. So, Hey, maybe she scores an incredible knockout and they think twice. And maybe she thinks twice, who knows? But uh, if I had to read the tea leaves, I'm going to guess that this, uh, this could very well be her final fight in the UFC. I appreciate her time very much. Now, before we move along to platinum, Mike Perry, let me tell you, about our good friends over at Modelo. You know Modelo. You love Modelo just like I do. And, of course, I hope right now TST is playing our Modelo music. If he's not, let me just offer some of it for you. Modelo. Modelo's brewed for those with a fighting spirit. Modelo's the official beer of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Modelo's partnered with UFC fighter Amanda Nunes. More importantly, <laughs> Modelo's partnered with the Helwani show, let's be honest. Anyway, uh, the fighting spirit, as you know, means never giving up, even when the odds are against you. Great fighters are like great beers. It doesn't matter where you come from. It matters what you're made of. Modelo's been the gold standard since 1925. Modelo's a crisp Pilsner-style lager that set the standard for authentic Mexican beer. Modelo uses premium hops to give the golden lager its crisp taste. So, when you're tuning into the UFC on Saturday, Dan Hooker versus Dustin Poirier, what a fight that is. Make sure you've got the beer that's always in your corner. Modelo. Modelo Especial. Brewed for those with a fighting spirit. Drink responsibly. Beer imported. Crown Imports. Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> 
All right, here's my conversation with Mike Perry. Buckle up for this one. It's a fun one. First off, how are you? Thank you for doing this. Yeah, uh, thanks for the platform to get to talk to these haters. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's not really like you can be a fan and a viewer that wants to watch to see me win. You know what I mean? And I appreciate it if you want those things. But there's literally nothing that I gain from you wanting me to win. You're not doing anything for me. I don't need you screaming on the sidelines. I don't need you um, sticking up for me on social media, you know, and it's it's going to be me against my opponent in there. I'm going to go in, I'm going to fight my fight the way I want, the way I trained for it myself. It's platinum martial arts. It's always been platinum martial arts. I am the co-creator the co-creator. What does that mean? I'm the mother, I'm the main creator of this shit. I guess co. My dad and mom made me, and that's that's from the day one, bro. It's destiny. I'm here now, and I'm here to take what's mine. And it don't matter, bro. I don't really need to fucking say nothing else. Fuck the haters, bro. Fucking bitch ass motherfuckers. That's all I got to say about that shit. What's going on? I mean, you're coming out really hot here, Mike. Are a lot of people hating on you right now? What are you feeling? What's going on? I'm good, bro. They can't fucking touch me. I wish I wish one of these motherfuckers would try to touch me. All the shit that they talk, it's like they, they should walk around with a toilet under their mouth because the shit falls from out of their mouth, bro. Like, But they never say this shit to me in person. I swear, I feel like some people be whispering shit too, though. They'll whisper some shit. Oh, fucking. Oh, my God, bro. (laughs) Fuck y'all. I'm getting paid, bitch. I'm about to make this money. I'm about to beat the fuck out of this little white boy from New Jersey, man. And I'm about to get paid. And I'm living my fucking life. I'm going to go drink some Mai Tais and do some Mai Tai and some, you know, and eat. I'm hungry as fuck. Uh, yet, yet last week you posted a video, I believe it was on Thursday or Friday, where it appeared as though your knuckles were all cut up and you were banged up and people were worried that you were going to be out of this fight. Could you tell us the story behind this video? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I just, uh, I beat up these two bouncers, man, in this, in this uh, that was a long time ago, though, obviously. I'm not all. Ah. I'm not all cut up. Okay. So it was just old. I was trolling people. It was a later gram. A later gram. I haven't heard that. I was trolling. Okay, fair enough. So you're all good. No go. What, what did happen though? Could you tell me the story that led to those cuts? Um, shit. Some of them are from training, hitting the bag with bare knuckles, and um. Uh, <laughs> okay, so look, right? Uh, I was taking a piss in the bathroom at this club, and the security guard. There's like one by the by, like the entrance to the bathroom, and after the entrance to the bathroom, there's like a hallway. And so he's at like he's on the end of the hallway in the entrance, and then there's another one like right behind him in the bathroom. And I was I was pretty drunk, 
And I said, I was taking a pee. And I was like, <laughs> I was like yo, how much do they pay y'all an hour to stand there and watch me pee? Because they were like mad at me as soon as I came in there as I was in there peeing. I was like, it's the bathroom. It's not my fault you work in here. So I was like, how much do they pay you for you to sit here and watch me pee? And they were so mad because I just kept laughing. So I finished. And then I don't even think I was going to try to wash my hands because he was in the way, you know. Uh, sorry, that's probably – that's not how corona spreads anyways. My junk is clean, bro. Anyways, uh, I went to walk out through this hallway. And there was <laughs> – it was a tight hallway. And they were both standing in it, getting ready for me to, like, be close enough for them to be like, oh, he touched us. You know what I mean? They were security. And I was like, y'all, big mad. So I went to walk through laughing. I had my head up. And and the dudes, like, they kind of, like, puffed their chest out in, in that hallway so that when I went to walk through them, they tried to stop me. I was like, y'all have a good night or something. And I went to walk through, and they, like, pushed up against me. And I, when they tried to squish me, I pushed one up, and I hit him with my face. And then I turned around, and I hit the other one with my left hand. Oh, my god! And then I went to hit him again, and he moved, and I punched a wall. And then he kind of just went back into the bathroom, and I left. Whoa. When was that? This was like six months ago. Oh, wow. Okay. And did anything else happen as a result of that or just kind of ended? No, we left. I left the club, bro. I just got out of there. (laughs) Okay. Damn, that's crazy. Um, Well, I'm glad you're okay. Uh, So there's there's two big questions surrounding you going into this fight. There's your hand and the cuts and all that. So I'm glad we cleared that up. You're good to go. The other one is, is it true that you are only going to have one corner person for this fight, and that is your girlfriend? Yes, sir. Just one? No one else? No one else. Why? Because she's perfect. Does she have experience in terms of martial arts training or cornering people? Uh, Cornering? No, but uh, she's Mexican, so they can fight. Um, No, she's just... A tough little peanut butter cup chocolate chip cookie. And she has experience in boxing and wrestling. She wrestled throughout high school, believe it or not. Um, and she's going to do the number one thing that I could ask of a coach is just sit there and enjoy the show because you got the best seat in the house. And I don't need your advice anyways. I've done the work. It's done. I've seen the fight in my head a thousand times. And I'm going to hit this dude in the face. And I'm going to bust his chops, bro. That's it. Did you train with a team or any coaches for this fight? Or did you just train on your own? Um, I did. I went to some gyms. I got some jujitsu in with uh, this one gym. You know, I, tr- I'm, I like to go around and give my time to the martial arts community. And... I'm I'm good to have in your gym. I'm a good training partner. If I can come in and get some work with the bodies and people from all over the world, from all types of gyms, uh, they they show me respect and uh, you know they're grateful for me coming out. 
I take pictures with fans and also other uh, up-and-coming mixed martial artists. Um, going to some gyms, ran into other UFC fighters, get some work, give them some tips. Um, and I'm not going to sit there and let their coaches tell me do this or don't do this or like, no, and we'll, we can work positional stuff and I'm going to show you where it's, where it's going to go and what's going to happen. And then we can work on things um, from there. I feel like the UFC is calling me. They're trying to get in touch with me. Like I did something wrong. And oh. Yeah. They keep trying to get a hold of me, but you know, she's just going to sit there quietly and then she's going to cheer when I win. Uh, how did you guys come to this decision? Was this something that you decided early on or you just kind of felt like it was right recently? Um, no, I knew what I wanted to do a while back. And it's been me and my girl, just us doing our own thing, taking care of life, handling business out here. And um, we're a great team. I handle my part. She handles hers. And that's just sit there and look beautiful, you know what I mean? And, and uh, help daddy feel like, you know, a champion inside. And I do. So I'm a handle business, bro. Ain't nothing to it but to do it. Could I ask, and, and I totally understand if you don't want to answer this, but because it was so public, you know, when you got married recently, now obviously you're no longer married. What happened? Oh, uh, just wasn't meant to be, bro. This is, this is meant to be. Uh, you're happy? Absolutely. It's, I'm living my dreams, bro, and it, it's taken a while to get here and for me to see it for what it is actually. And uh, this, bro, there's nothing else I want in life. What else do you want to be a fighter for? I want to be a fighter for the baddest little chick that I could get ever. And I got her. And now I get to show her. Like, come on, watch this, honey. Watch this. Check this out. I'm going to bust this boy's chops and we're going to cut the check and we're going to have a, a little celebration and pop bottles and we're going to get on the boat and we're going to drink my ties and we're going to throw money at the, in the air for no reason because we can. That sounds like a great I got to call the UFC back, Ariel. You're going to get me in trouble with ESPN and the UFC. No. You got more questions? You're asking some personal stuff now. No, no, okay. Well, can I just ask you, I mean, um, it didn't seem, when you got the Mickey Golf fight, you were like, man, I've been fighting top contenders. I'm happy they gave me this guy. So you feel like this is relative to the recent fights that you've had, this is a, a, a favorable matchup for you. Would it be fair to say that? And if so, why? It's just how I'm going to treat it, man. The great Kobe Bryant said, as soon as you think about competing, you've already lost. There's no competition for me. I am the greatest fighter on the planet Earth, and I just need to remember that when I walk up in there. No crowd yelling belligerent things, no distractions like that. I'm going to go in here, and I'm just going to flow. And it's going to be beautiful. There's going to be blood all over the canvas, and it's going to be painted pretty red. And my, I'm going to do a, a bloody snow angel in the <laughs> middle of the ring and tell y'all to bow down to the queen can we have like five more minutes is that possible or do you, do you want to wrap this up yeah no it's five minutes is good okay um 
Do you like the idea of fighting in an empty arena? Have you ever done that before? Um, I mean, yeah, when I go train, right? Right, right of course. So I mean, like, like training. Right. I'm going in some big buildings that were empty. And, yeah, and I've when I think my first, you know, your first pro fights or your first amateur fights or they got some, you know, we just fought wherever, bro. We did whatever. I had people come to my house and we would fight on a tarp in the backyard. There'd be three, four of us back there. There's less people than that uh, where it's going to be there on Saturday. And those are the people who are going to be most excited watching. They're going to be looking. You know, they watch this shit all the time. So these are the people I want to fight for. I said they got the uh, they got the billionaire room at the UFCPI, man. They got the little stands in there and you get in the cage and then the glass opens up and they can see the fight. Like, come on, let's go. Let's set up some big uh, money undergrounds. <laughs> yes. Uh, would it be fair to say if all goes well on Saturday, uh, regardless of what happens in his fight next month that, that you want Darren till next, are we going to get some sort of conclusion to this feud? Cause it seems like it all of a sudden has ramped up after it seemed like you guys were friends and now you're not friends. W- would that be a fair statement? I've never been his friend. I don't know him. He don't know me. The whole world and the internet want to act like they know somebody but they don't have no idea who they talking about until they walk up on them. I ain't, I ain't taking no pictures with you bums. I don't trust none of y'all. Y'all can stay away from me. Keep my name out of your mouth. If you call my name out, you can go fuck yourself. I don't want no fans. I don't want no friends. It's just me by myself. And I'm, my girl got my back. So, and she ain't got to do nothing. She ain't going to have to lift a finger. It's all me. It's always been all me. Fuck the rest. I'm out this bitch. Ooh-wee. That is an interesting conversation with one Mike Perry. Like I said, he's always interesting. He's always colorful. He's always very animated, but it seemed very fired up this time, like a like a guy with a massive chip on his shoulder. Uh, we'll see how the situation involving his girlfriend works out on Saturday. He's going to just have his girlfriend in his corner. What happens if we're going into the third round and, you know, you got to change up the game plan or something? I mean, you go from the situation we had last week with Robert Drysdale to this. I mean, this could be fascinating theater that will play out on Saturday. Saturday, uh, prelim started five on ESPN and ESPN plus that's five Eastern and then main card 8 PM Eastern on ESPN and ESPN Plus. He's in the co-main against Mickey Gall. Main event, of course, is Dustin Poirier versus uh, Dan Hooker. So we'll see how it all pans out. Now, uh, Monday afternoon, I spoke to Robert Drysdale. The full interview is up on the ESPN MMA YouTube account. But since we spent so much time with DC on Monday talking about this situation, I wanted to give him some shine on the podcast. Here's a portion of my conversation with Robert Drysdale. And in particular, I asked him if he regrets a couple of days later not throwing in the towel, not listening to his fighter, Max Roshkoff. Here's what he had to say. Two days later, do you still feel the same way as you did Saturday? I spoke to you on Saturday via text. You've also talked to other outlets like MMAfighting.com, and you said that, in essence, you stand by the decision and have no regrets. Do you still feel the same way? Um, yes, I do. And um, yeah, I think that the one thing that got a little, I think the public perhaps took a little um, you know, misconstrued is that Max's health was never at risk. You know, his safety was never at risk. Um, if Max had hurt himself, they're seriously broken a jaw. You know, if he had you know, lost his vision, I would have jumped over that fence and interrupted that fight before the judge could be on it. 
Like no one in that arena cares more about Max than I do. So, you know, I knew that he wasn't at risk. I knew that he was just, it was more than just fatigue. He was mentally frustrated. And I wanted to bring him back to life. I want to revive him. I want to convince him to get back in there. And I had 60 seconds to do it. Um, if you watch the video closely, I'm even like when he first says, call it, I'm almost like shocked. Like I'm silent for a second because I can't register what he's saying. Like I, I can't make the connection between the word call it and him quitting because like I can't even fathom the fact that he was doing that. So it threw me back a little bit and I had like very little time while on national television to recompose myself and like, what do I do? And my immediate reaction is what I feel was the correct one was try to bring him back to life because I knew that he was going to regret that decision. It was going to be one of the gravest mistakes of his life. And he regrets it already, you know, so I knew that was going to happen. I, I know how fighters think. I know how they are. And I know that deep down, he didn't want to quit. And I did my best. And if I had 90 seconds to do it, I would have done it. If I had nine minutes to do it, I would have insisted for nine minutes that he get back in there because I know that deep down he wants to fight. Now, when we are emotional and we're under pressure, we say things we don't mean. We do it all the time. I do it. You've done it. In the heat of the moment, you say something. Next day, you're like, what did I do? I can't believe I just said that. Max was frustrated. He was dealing. He was having a little emotional moment there. And it came across as like a form almost like self-sabotage. Like, I don't belong in here. I don't deserve this. He was so upset at himself because he is so hard on himself. And that's why he's going to be great because he's so hard on himself that it came out in the words where I don't want to be here anymore. And I know that deep down, he dreams about that UFC title every day of his life. I know this because I've been on the mats with him hundreds of times. And I know that that's what he wants. But in an emotional moment of a moment of weakness there, right, he said it on national television, I don't want to be here. But I know that's not the case. He wants to be there. He, that's what he talks about all day. It was just a really um, – it was a moment of weakness in which we were exposed on national television. I think people, you know, they got the wrong message, unfortunately. Is, is he the kind of fighter who needs that extra push? In other words, is he – you know, I've, I've heard from other fighters who told me, like, sometimes there are fighters in the gym – who tend to quit a lot or to say like, I don't want to keep going. And, and they almost rely on that push. They want that push. They don't really mean it, but they say it. It's part of their character. Is he that kind of guy or is this very foreign for him to say something like that? Uh, it had never, I mean, he's been upset in practice, but like that's a, I think fighters have a competitive nature and that's a very difficult thing for, you know, outsiders to understand is that it's, it's almost like we have a different code of morality on the mats. Like it's, it's, they're not overlapping worlds, you know, in the sense where, what is correct out there in the world is not necessarily the same procedures that we have. And on the mats, it's all about performance. It's about outdoing yourself. It's about, you know, being competitive with your teammates. You know, I love my teammates, but when we train, we're trying to kill each other. You know, and a lot of people don't understand like how to separate these things. Max has shown himself to be, you know, uh, very competitive on the mats, which I take as a good quality if we are able to channel that. You know, as a coach, it's one thing you learn as a coach is you're not just talking about the physical aspect and the technical aspect. Right. There's you become sort of a sports psychologist and you learn your fighters and you know how to you learn how to, you know, deal with everyone differently. And Max has shown himself to be emotional on the mats out of being competitive. Right. But I think that because he lost that second round and he knew that he had lost it, he had not he's not used to losing. And I think that that right there kind of blew up on his face a little bit, whereas he's used to winning. Right. So, you know, but it's it's a different skill to learn how to lose. And that's something we need to work on. Is there a case to be made that, you know, could, I can understand if a fighter says, I don't know if I have what it takes or I'm, I, I want out once or twice, but if he says it repeatedly that many times with that kind of conviction, that maybe, you know, maybe you don't, maybe we don't like it. Maybe we don't want to see it happen, but for his own good, 
he shouldn't go out there or did you feel like he just really needed that motivation? I think that, you know, if, once again, if he were at risk, if he were hurt, I would have 100% thrown in a towel before he even said anything, if I felt that. But I knew, I know Maxwell enough to know that he was just having a little emotional moment. It was more psychological than anything and he needed a push. Um, he could have said it a hundred times. I heard him the first time, but mm-hmm. yeah, if he had managed to say it a hundred times within those 60 seconds, I would have not changed my position because once again, he was verbalizing something that he was very emotional about. I don't think that deep down, I don't think he meant it. And I think by now he already regrets it. And it's difficult for, for people, you know, a lot of times fans are like overly critical about these things, but there's, there's a connection between a coach and a fighter or there's a code of honor that we have on the mats between myself and my training partners. It's what I have with my coaches and I have with my, my students now. And it's difficult for people to understand because there's a language there that we speak that not everyone gets. Like, I know what he's thinking. I know what's going on in his head. What people see is him saying, I don't want to be in here. That's all they're seeing. What I'm seeing is I'm seeing the years of training and how many times we've had this conversation that he wants this. And people miss out on all that. They miss out on all those moments, right? So, they, you know, I, I always say this, there's, there's a language that we speak on the mats and not everyone speaks fighter. It's a very, uh, it's a difficult thing for people to grasp because it's like kind of explain to someone that, you know, like there's never had a child, what it's like holding your child in your arms for the first time. You can't explain the feeling. Hmm. Fighters know what, there's a reason why fighters are citing me. They know what's going on. They know my best coaches were the ones that pushed me that extra rep when I was defeated and I'm on the verge of crying and I'm quitting. I don't want to do it anymore. And they go, one more time, Robert, you can do this. And I was on the verge of tears when I was doing this. And that was so hard for me. But now I look back and I go, thank you. You pushed me to excellence. And that's what I'm looking for for my fighters. I, I, don't, I have zero interest in being mediocre. I don't do this to be mediocre. I do this to be excellent. I've to always, I, it's always how I've been as a fighter and now as a coach. And if I can't deal with people that don't want excellence, and that's fine. It's your choice. But I'm not interested in training people like that. And I expect that from my fighters. And I expected that from Max on Saturday. It didn't go our way. Back to the drawing board. We pick ourselves up. We do it again. But I had zero interest in training people who want to be mediocre. I have a lot of respect for Robert Drysdale, and I appreciate him very much. A lot of people would have listened to what I said on SportsCenter on Monday, took it personally, chewed me out, sent me a mean-spirited text. He didn't do that. He wanted to talk it out. I thought we had a really uh, productive, healthy conversation. And um, you know, I still don't agree with the decision to not stop the fight after your fighter says he wants out nine times. I think it's funny to hear people say, oh, you're not a fighter. You don't know what you're talking about. All I'm doing is listening to the fighter here. And in this case, a man said very clearly and emphatically that he wanted out and he wasn't listened to. And at the end of the day, he's the boss. The, the, the fighter pays the coaches and he doesn't have a history of doing this, according to Robert. And apparently, you know, they didn't talk about it beforehand, like Anthony Smith and his coaches, where he said, hey, don't throw in the towel, I'll fire you. So to me, it's pretty cut and dry. It's an interesting conversation. And it's one that's going to come up a lot in our sport. I appreciate Robert uh, coming on and giving his side of the story. Like I said, the UFC is back on Saturday. It's a solid card. Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker is a phenomenal main event. I think at the end of the year, we'll be talking about this fight as one of the very best of the year. I think it goes the distance. And what makes it so good is, on paper, it's a great fight, but the stakes are very high as well. I think the winner of this fight gets one of three things next. I think the best chance is the winner of this fight fights Tony Ferguson next. And that would be a massive fight. I mean, Dustin Poirier versus Tony Ferguson, tremendous. Dan Hooker, who would then be on a four-fight winning streak with a win over Dustin Poirier, tremendous as well against uh 
Tony Ferguson. I mean, who wouldn't want to see that? Option two, a little more of a long shot, Nate Diaz. I could see Nate maybe reigniting the situation with Poirier or if you've seen his Instagram as of late, he's been posting videos of Hooker knocking out Gilbert Burns. Now, is he talking about, uh, you know, is, is he trying to highlight the fact that Gilbert is getting knocked out because he doesn't seem happy with the fact that Gilbert replaced Jorge Masvidal next month in that title fight against Usman? I don't know, but it still seems like he's uh, he's got his eye on things. And I hear he's itching to get back in there. So maybe Nate Diaz. Or is Conor McGregor at home? Dustin Poirier gets on the mic, says, hey, Conor McGregor, let's do it finally. Does he take that fight now? I think that's the longest shot of them all. I don't think Connor is very eager to run that one back for the same reason. He's not eager to run it back with Jose Aldo. He won the first fight against Dustin and Aldo in emphatic and decisive fashion. I don't think there's much upside there for him, but maybe he gets uh, enticed and says, I'll take the fight. Or maybe it's Dan Hooker that entices him now that he'll be winning, uh, you know, four in a row and uh, win over Poirier and, and he'll be a top contender at 155. So one of those three things, I think, uh, you know, uh, is presented to the winner. And I, personally, I think that Tony Ferguson is the the leading candidate, but you know, who would be upset with either one of those um, scenarios? Kamar Usman uh, told our Brett Okamoto VSPN earlier this week that he has left the, uh, the team in uh, Florida, South Florida, and is in training with Henry who for this fight against Gilbert Burns. Fascinating stuff. He's now training with Trevor Whitman, Gilbert Burns training with the team in South Florida. I've asked Henry Hoof for, um, the opportunity to speak to him. He doesn't want to talk about it right now. Sensitive subject, but this is an interesting storyline to watch. You know, this whole thing that they were, you know, the best of friends and all this stuff uh, when the fight was being made wasn't exactly accurate. And, and I'm happy it's out because I've known about it for quite some time. I respected Henry Hoof's wishes to not make it into a, a big thing. He asked me not to. He didn't want it to be on the record. But the, now that Usman has talked about it, here we go. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting story to watch over the next few weeks. Uh, a lot of people asking me about uh, Bellator these days. Where the heck is Bellator? Well, Bellator, I'm told, is going to come back in late July. I think they've really lost a lot of momentum, and a lot of people have kind of forgotten about them. Where, where are you at, Bellator? LFA is coming back, and uh, you know, um, uh, Invicta is coming back, and Cage Warriors is coming back. All these people are coming back. Where are you, Bellator? And so I think it's uh it's high time that they get back in there. It's going to be interesting. I've heard that they've they've looked at, at at California, they've looked at Connecticut. They just I think should start to get the momentum back because uh you know I think it's kind of telling that a lot of people aren't talking about them. And and one last update from last Saturday, Josh Emmett uh, announcing that he tore his ACL in the early portion of that fight against Shane Burgos, two MCL sprains as well, three Baker cyst ruptures four focal impact fractures of the femur on the lateral, five uh, CDC on the tibia. I don't even want to pronounce these. Basically, his knee is messed up, and he messed it up very early, and he won that fight. Josh Emmett, you're a beast. That is unbelievable that you were able to do that on Saturday with all those injuries. Unbelievable. Now, someone who I have a bone to pick with is TST. We will address those bones in a matter of seconds. The Minimalist Tip of the Week is coming up, and as always, it is presented by Modelo, setting the gold standard for authentic Mexican beer since 1925. Modelo Especial, brewed for those with a fighting spirit. GST's Minimalist Tip of the Week. I'm going to skip over whatever your bone to pick with me. No, 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 no. The bone needs to be picked right off the bat. Oh, boy. You hung me out to dry. You give me an ad read. 
are you going to apologize for said mistake where you make me seem like I'm some kind of hack Ron Burgundy just reading off the thing and not, you know, reading it beforehand? I mean, you didn't put a, a bullet point. You didn't italicize. You didn't bold it. You just threw that, whatever what, what was, extra points to build on. I mean, you hung me out to dry. Am I wrong? Listen, I don't believe in casting blame upon other people. I like to take accountability and it wow. is totally my fault. Yes, oh. I was supposed to uh, take that out. That extra points to build on thing is not supposed to be there. However, I think in turn, I'm taking responsibility for it. You should not be blowing me up, making, you know, blowing me up on social media because I got people mad at me now, making fun of me, thinking that, that I'm a schmuck. No, by the way, no one's getting mad at you. If anything, they're reveling in the fact that I made a mistake. So, oh, it's hilarious! You made for you made for great comedy. So I love when I mess up. You always you're such a pro, and uh, you always you know know how to make light of a situation. But I I don't appreciate being put on blast here. Eh, it's fine. I think you'll uh, I think you'll survive. We had to address it. I mean, we had to address it. Uh, I don't mind. I don't mind being the butt of the joke. I, I posted it on my own social media. See, these days, everyone just, you know, likes to celebrate the good things, the positives in their lives. No, I want the people to know that I'm human, that I make mistakes too. And it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to laugh at yourself. So I'm fine with it. I just wanted to know if you felt bad for, you know, no, hanging me out. No, I don't feel bad. Me and Corporate Jake were laughing hysterically when it happened. Yeah, I'm sure you guys were. Now, this week's tip is something that is very near and dear to my heart, Ariel. Minimalist grocery shopping. First, oh. I would advise everyone, whether you are a minimalist or not, always, always, always go with a shopping list. And because as minimalists, we are not wasteful, we are very purposeful, and everything in our lives serves a purpose, we do not get something that is on sale literally just because it's on sale. I will never, ever get anything that's on sale unless I would normally get it anyway, because you come across these deals, you know, here's, you know, 10 boxes of pasta or 10 yogurts for $10. Great deal on the surface. But if you're not really a yogurt person or no one in your family is really a yogurt person, or you're not really flying through yogurts or boxes of pasta, and you just want to get it because it feels great getting a great deal because you feel like you're getting a steal, you'll get it. But no, you should not get that because oftentimes we get so many things because it's a great deal or because we see uh, how cost advantage or cost saving it is to get something in bulk because it looks like a great deal on the service. But if you're never going to use it or never going to consume it and it's eventually going to waste, well, then that's not a, a good use of your money, your time, or all your resources. So I always say, hey, you know what the best deal is? Uh, not spending money at all. So if you're not going oh, to use it, don't get it. Is it weird that I still wipe down my groceries? Yes, that is so weird. I never was even doing that in the first place. That that oh, is an extra step. Wash, that's disgusting. Wash your fruits and vegetables like you normally would. Like that, you should just be doing that pandemic or not. It is weird that you are still disinfecting. Of your course, I, I I I wash my my produce in vinegar. Really, like all the time? Yeah, of course. Wow, that's excessive. Uh, yeah, well, no, it's not excessive. I don't want to get any kind of virus or any kind of disease or any kind of bacteria in my body. You don't wipe down, like you buy a box of cereal or something, you don't wipe it down? No. Oh, my God. Who does that? Me. I've been doing well, it for like freak. four months. Yeah, well. <laughs> the freaks come out at night. It's, it's midday. And on that I don't note. Know what talking about. I'm getting music. Okay. Um, thank you for that, TST. Appreciate it very much. Like I said, UFC is back on Saturday. Um, how about this uh, late replacement? It's not even a replacement. Actually, it kind of it was a replacement. But anyway, uh, a late addition 
to the card. Jin Yu Fry against Kay Hansen, the former Adam White champion of Invicta, going up against the uh, the rising star Kay Hansen, who's just 20 years young, she's pretty much TST's age, and uh, she's now the youngest female on the roster, second youngest overall behind Chase Hooper. They're going to be uh, opening up the show on Saturday at the Apex in Las Vegas. Luis Pena against Kama Worthy. Interesting fight as well. John Volante moving up to heavyweight. Mickey Gall, Mike Perry, and of course, Dustin Poirier against Dan Hooker. So this will be the last UFC card before 251. Only one week in between, so don't want to make too big of a deal about it. But this will be the last for their uh, Vegas shows for a bit. All of July will be in Abu Dhabi and then they'll be back in August beginning August 1st for that Holly Holm versus Irene Aldana fight for now though let's say goodbye thank you very much to Robert Drysdale thank you very much to Platinum Mike Perry and I hope I didn't piss him off too much and of course thank you very much to Paige Van Zandt good luck to her on July 11th thanks to all of you hey do me a favor review rate subscribe comment all those things let's go to the top baby let's do it from me to you I love you all enjoy the fights Talk to you next week. Geico knows there are many reasons why you ride. From the thrill of the revving engine and pure adrenaline of flying down the highway. To the confidence of knowing that Geico always has your back with 24-7 access to claim service. But Ari Snyder has one reason in particular. I had extremely large upper arms. They won't even fit into most shirts. Thankfully, biking really embraces vest culture, so I feel accepted. Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.